Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9. Thank you, Simon, for reading that so well for us. There's so many Simons. Anybody else not called Simon in this church? There's so many of us uh, got that name, uh, or Peter, or however it is. But have your, have your Bibles open to chapter 9 of Acts. We're going to be talking about encountering with or encountering the resurrection, but uh, the story is going to, um, to emerge for us. This is, this is an amazing story that we heard read to us. Uh, every now and again, it's really great to hear the Bible being read, Yes. Uh, not just not just you reading it, but to take it in and to hear it. And sometimes you hear it in a fresh new way. And today before us is this amazing account of the wonderful conversion of Saul of Tarsus. It's a historical narrative, yes, but it's warm and it's human and it's very, very real. This person, Saul whom we read about in the book of Acts and first encounter him as an absolute avowed hater of Jesus. A hater of Jesus Christ. He's one who was absolutely determined to rid the world of people who followed Jesus. Imagine that for a moment. You're Jesus followers, yes? Did I get a yes? Amen. That was slightly... Did I get a yes? Yes. (laughs) You get that. But you imagine that uh, your worship of Jesus could mean your life was gone because somebody hated you so much they actually wanted to catch you, imprison you, and if necessary, have you put to death. How about that? And this is a story of, of this man, Saul, who actually met Jesus face to face and forever his life is changed. He's converted. So I want to talk a little bit about conversion this morning. I love Conversion. I love conversion to Jesus. I, I love not just the concept, but the reality of being born again. It's interesting when the Christian church gets kind of pushed a bit, it'll always be the born again Christians that are the problem. And we need to work that through. Being born again is simply the greatest thing that can ever happen to a human being. There are a lot of other great days in your life, folks, and you'll mark them down, but there is never a greater day or time other than being born again. And it's actually what God wants for every human being. And so together we'll talk about what happened to Saul this morning. But I also want to talk about those who had a part in Saul's conversion story. So we're going to meet three, Ananias, and Barnabas, and a group of people called the disciples. They're all believers in the resurrected Jesus, and they're all encouragers, and don't you and I need people in our lives who encourage us? So at the end of the time, I'm actually wanting to call you to to nailing a couple of things. One is your story of your conversion. However that happened to you, and we'll try and unpack that a little bit. And I also want you to think about what does it mean for me to be a person who encourages others? 
What does it mean for me to step out of my comfort zone and walk or move towards other people and just enfold them in some encouragement? So that when you, you go from this place today, you're alive, yeah? And alive with that because every one of us needs to be encouraged in some way or another. It may well be that you've come here this morning searching for God, but you've not found him yet. I want to encourage you to realise that at Hills Baptist, we don't want anything other than you to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And while this... Because I believe if you are a Jesus one, if you're a Jesus person, as one of my old pastors used to say, he'd, he'd ask a question, are you a Jesus person? Are you really a Jesus person? If you're his kid, then I want to tell you up front before I start to unpack this a little, you have a very significant story to share with your world. Actually, you have a really powerful story. And secondly, you have a ministry. Because somewhere in your circle of friends or amongst your people of influence, there is somebody who will need encouragement from God. And you'll be the person to bring that to them. And thirdly, I'm hoping that Hills Lobethal, Hills Baptist Lobethal, is built up and we're able to go out and share our story with the community. One by one, as a group, telling people who don't yet know the story of Jesus, how great Jesus really is. So let's pray, because that's where we're headed today. Father, we commit this to you in the name of your Son. We ask for your Holy Spirit's power on us right now, on me and on those who are listening. May the real listening be that which comes from your Spirit. Amen. Saul of Tarsus, his name we probably know more as Paul, the Apostle Paul. Somewhere in his story, his name changes to Paul. He's a famous Christian person, a Jewish historian, a famous Jewish historian by the name of Eusebius says, and I quote, he was a man small of stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness. For now he appeared like a man and now he had the face of an angel. If you ever wondered what Paul looked like, there you go. Short, balding, crooked-legged little old man, full of friendliness and had the face of an angel. But he wasn't always like that. Saul was born a Jew pre his conversion and probably around the time of Jesus' birth, so he's, he's more or less a contemporary in time in the time stream of, of Jesus. He had a Jewish upbringing and teaching, so that means as a young Jewish boy, he got all his kids going out to children's church and all the rest of it, and the job of the parents of this church to nurture your kids to come to know the Lord, yeah? But from a very early age, Saul is schooled in what they called a rabbinical school, a, a school of the rabbis, and he was taught the scriptures. I taught to memorize great chunks of the word of God, yeah? Rote by rote, word by word. So he's word by word. So he's he's brought up in the Jewish faith. He's trained in the Jewish faith or Judaism. But he's also learned a trade. He's a tent maker. So he's a man who who from those early days he he works with his hands. He's also very scholarly. 
He is also an interesting person because he has, he's a Roman citizen and he's able to attain, attain Roman citizenship. So you'll read about that in Acts 22. And he also lives in Tarsus, which is a Greek city, Greek university. He's influenced by Greek thought. He's involved in, in, a, in a city noted for trade and commerce. He's got a little bit of his background, but he's also a Hebrew of Hebrews. So in the early parts of Acts, we read about, and I think I preached about this or somebody did, about uh, the guy called Gamaliel. You remember Gamaliel? Yes? Up the back? You remember him? Gamaliel was the one who sort of said, well, if this Christian thing is going to last, don't fight against it. Remember him? Because uh, you might be fighting against God. We don't hear about Gamaliel anymore. But he's a scholar and, and Saul is trained under him. So he advances very quickly and I guess if he was around today, he would be a professor of theology or something like that. He's a very, 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 very clever man. He's also incredibly passionate. He's so impassionate about his personal faith as a Jew that he is what we would call a fanatic. And he's vehemently opposed to the Christian faith. He's vehemently opposed to Christianity and to Jesus Christ. Why was that? Well, he sees Christianity as wrong. He sees it as heretical. He sees it as a threat to Judaism and all that the Jewish faith taught. And he wants, he wants that to be just absolutely wiped out, taken away. So he's a kind of rising star in the, in the Jewish movement in Judaism. He's a trained rabbi. He's a theologian, he's a leader, and above all, he wants anything other than Judaism stamped out. You got the picture? Very, very interesting man. So Acts chapter 9 tells us what happened with Saul. He's so, um, well, doesn't the Bible say, I think Simon read to it, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. How about that? Does anybody in this room, don't put up your hand, but have you suffered enough yet for the faith that somebody's breathed murder at you? I hate this Christian thing in your life so much I want to get rid of you. How about that? Pretty extreme, isn't it? So Saul is breathing out threats against the, the Christian church, the emerging church, and he, he wants that wiped out. As I'm going to try and lift this up. Can we just lift up a bit? Wrong thing there. Okay, cool. That's it. Thanks, mate. Beautiful. So he wants... He wants uh, look at this man in his prayers. Isn't that good? He wants, he, wants, uh, he wants the Christians wiped out. And he sets about that with vigour and force and he was ruthless. So he approves of the death of the first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen. He goes from house to house, dragging people out. He hounds Christians, he takes them off, and he approves of their death. And later on, Saul actually talks about that. He, he's, he describes himself as the chief of sinners, the very worst of them. But God got Saul of Tarsus. Did you hear that? God got Saul of Tarsus. And even today, the story of his conversion 
to Christianity is so strong and so vibrant that people who convert to Christianity in such a radical way are often said to have had a Damascus Road experience. What do they mean by that? Well, God has a way of getting every one of us. And that's what I want to hammer home a bit with us today, that regardless of how it was, God got you, yes? And we, who would know apart from God, how many times Saul's conversion story has been told, preached about and shared over the centuries? In fact, when you go through the book of Acts, you could read for yourself three times this story recounted. The second two times, Paul tells in his own words what happened to him. And he adds a little bit more to the story. We're getting it from his personal perspective. So as Simon read the account to us, he's on the road to Damascus. He's got an entourage of people with him. There are disciples in the city of Damascus, which is a, a quite a little journey away from Jerusalem. They're there. They're following the Lord. They're part of the church there. But Saul's on his way to get them and bring them back to the high priest in Jerusalem for trial and probably persecution and probably, for some of them, their lives will be taken from them. Who knows? But on the way, and it's about midday according to Saul, something happens. Now, midday is quite, quite, quite important in the story because it's bright sun, yes? But suddenly from heaven, this light, this... this <laughs> what we call a theophany, or it's more than that, is this brilliant, brilliant light hits Saul in the middle of the noonday sun and Saul is struck to the ground. It's an amazing thing, yes? He falls to the ground and he hears a voice and Jesus confronts him and commands him. But here's the thing. Saul hated the Christians because they preached the resurrection from the dead. Are you with me? And he hated the Christians because he preached that Jesus, who is alive, and he pushed against Jesus the whole time. He wanted Jesus' name excoriated, taken out of the mix, removed. Because the Christians were saying Jesus really is the Messiah that the whole Jewish faith had been waiting for. And Jesus confronts him and commands him. And Saul becomes a changed man. All you ladies in the church, listen to this. When Saul confronts you, when Jesus confronts you and you meet the risen Jesus, you're a changed woman. And all you men too, hear this. Because you just tuned out for a second and I was thinking you're only talking to the girls. Same for you. When Jesus confronts you as the risen one and you see him and believe in him, you're a changed person. Yeah? And your life will never, ever be the same. Never, ever. We're not talking about the perfect life that's yet to come. We're talking about the life that changes because you've met Jesus. 
So for Saul, after his conversion, the enemy of the cross becomes a champion of the cross. Now he can't stop speaking about Jesus. He stands for Jesus and he stands up for Jesus. He stands for the truth of Jesus. He writes about the truth of Jesus. He refutes the errors of the Jewish faith in terms of what it, listen, in terms of what it teaches about salvation and insists that Jesus is the saviour and that salvation only comes to a person because of Jesus' death on the cross. So he pushes back against the Jewish religion that kind of builds faith on how many good works you've done as a way of entering into heaven. Yeah, But when Jesus confronts Saul of Tarsus and says to him, why, 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 why are you persecuting me? Who, Lord? Can't you tell, can't you see that Saul already knew what was going on? And so it is with many of us as, as God draws us to himself, we kind of get the Jesus story by the Holy Spirit going on in our lives. And someday in some place, in some way or over time, it all clicks and we say, you know what, Lord, you really are the Lord. You really are the Lord. So Saul moves from that. He, he refutes the Greek thought that's going on. He's... He, he opposes salvation that's being taught that can be achieved through self-discipline or certain types of esoteric lifestyles. By the way, the same thing goes on in our world today. There's so many people thinking they'll get to heaven because they're good people or they've done good works or they've practiced some sort of mystical religion. And what we'll see through the story of Saul's conversion for the narrative of it, that there is only one way to God. For Paul, it becomes Jesus or nothing. So it's all about grace. Say, it's all about grace. It's all about grace, all about grace people. For Paul, it's Jesus or nothing. Salvation is a totally free gift that can never be earned in any way at all. And above all, Jesus was the Messiah. So Saul took the scriptures that he knew by heart and he began to argue from the pages of the Old Testament because that's all the scripture that he had. And he began to argue day and night with people from the word of God that Jesus is the Messiah. You will find Jesus in the Old Testament. You will find Jesus in the Old Testament. The old is in the new revealed, goes the old couplet. The new, uh, the old is in the new uh, revealed, the new is in the old concealed. It's all there. And Saul took it line upon line and he went to his Jewish uh, professors and contemporaries and those in the Jewish faith and he said, hang on, you've missed it. Jesus actually is the promised Messiah. He is the Lord. He's the one who's come to bring salvation. What an amazing thing happened to this man. But here it is in a nutshell. He encountered the risen Jesus. Saul of Tarsus was such an utterly changed person that people could not believe his story. So let me put this to you for a moment. Imagine for a moment that you are a new Christian in a new church. We've got the new church, Simon. We're living a new lifestyle in Jesus and you're very much part of the church, yeah? 
Imagine you're, you're coming week by week, by the way, your Sunday worship, you would have got up early in the morning in the early church on a Sunday and worship probably before you went off to work. Because they used to worship on Saturday, yeah? But in the early church, they moved it to Sunday because that was the day of the what? Resurrection. So off they went early to church. So you're part of this community, the place is alive, it's so exciting that you're part of what's happening. People's lives are being changed day by day. People are being fed, they're being looked after. People are being healed, miracles are happening. What an incredible place. One week you've got two or 3,000 people and then there are 10,000 people. It's just boom, 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 yeah? Imagine that. Now imagine also that the rest of the society around about you... Um, they're very indifferent to you. In fact, some of them are so opposed to you and your belief in Jesus that they want you out. And imagine too that you're part of this group called the Christians or they became the Christians. Early they were called the people of the way. They had actually paid the ultimate price and had been persecuted for their faith, imprisoned and in some cases put to death. Imagine that. And imagine... <coughs> Excuse me. Imagine what it must have been like to have heard stories of a person called Saul who's kind of like a madman. And he's coming after the church. And he's getting people together to come after you, not just him, but others, yes? And then you hear stories and you hear rumors around the place that Saul has become a Christian and he wants to get involved with your group. Can I ask you, what would you think? Oh, yeah. Kind of a fifth columnist, yeah? An infiltrator. You'd think the same as those early disciples that Simon read to us. You didn't trust what was going on, <coughs> excuse me, at all. And, of course, you would think the worst and you'd be very um, unsure. Enter the story of Saul's um, conversion of two great men and disciples of the Lord. Enter into the narrative, into the story of Saul's conversion, a firstly man called Ananias. That's his part of the story we read about. When Jesus confronted Saul, he said, get up from the ground, go to a street in in Damascus called the Straight Street, there will be a man, Ananias. He'll be praying. He'll have seen in a vision you coming in. You are to lay your hands on him so he'll be healed because he'll be blind. And then he's to be baptised and get on with the job because I've chosen this man to preach to the Gentiles. So Saul's missionary pattern always was he'd first go to the Jews, he'd reason in the script, from the scriptures in the synagogues with them because they knew their Bible very, very well. If they refused to hear, he would then go to those outside called the Gentiles, which, by the way, for the majority of us is what we are unless you have Jewish background. Thank you so much, Bree. That'll keep me going for another two hours. <laughs> Do you get the drift? And so Ananias says, Lord, I think I'd say this. I don't, I don't want to do this. This bloke's bad news. It's just a, it's just a plot. It's just a, it's just a scheme. 
but in the midst of his fear, and this, this so much encourages me, put up your hands if you've never, or stand up if you've never been fearful. That's a couple of us in this room only. You know what I'm saying. Of course there are moments of fear, yes? And even sometimes when we go to share our story, you're quaking in your boots. Ananias says, Lord, this, this bloke's bad news. But he obeyed the Lord and God uses him for the healing of Saul and baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ananias is called a disciple and he was obedient. Hang on to him for a moment or two. He is such an encouraging person. The second of the group of disciples, and here's their part of the story, it's Acts 9, 18 and 25, and it's the famous basket story where Saul is getting about Damascus and he goes out immediately and he starts to preach day after day after day and he's stirring up the Jews in the city so much that they want to kill him. But there are some disciples in the church there and followers of then Saul and, and they get him and they let him down outside the wall. You know the story. You got it taught in Sunday school if you used to go to Sunday school. The Bible is so dramatic, yeah? How can you read it and say it's a dull old book? It's great old stories in the book. And they let him down outside the wall and he's saved. They believed in what had happened to him. We need disciples. And the third one is a man called Barnabas. We meet him by name for the first time in Acts. He's, he's called, his name actually is the son of encouragement. And we read a lot about this man. He's such an encourager, Barnabas. He was a leader in giving and giving away. The, the Bible tells us he was so generous that he gave a, a, his property to the, to the whole movement. It's a great story. It's a great example. But Barnabas is a man of real faith and he was full of God and full of the Holy Spirit. And we're told his part in the story, Simon read it to us. It's 19b to 31. The disciples in Jerusalem are afraid because Saul's come back from Damascus. He went out breathing murderous threats. He comes back an ironic, changed man, but now full of fire for God, yeah? So he comes back and he begins to preach. And the disciples are saying, oh, we're not sure about this. They had every right to feel that. But this is what Barnabas does. He goes and he takes, as you, if you like, not literally, who knows how, he takes Barnabas and he goes to the church and he explains what has happened to Barnabas and says, this man is actually bona fide. He's 100% good. He has had a conversion experience. What he's on about is real and it's true. You can trust him. If it wasn't for Barnabas, no continuing story in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is about the Acts of the Apostles or probably more correctly, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it talks about, in the early parts, the Acts of the first 12 that followed Jesus, if you like, the apostles, Peter and John and the rest of them. And then Saul enters the story. Peter continues. We'll see about that a little bit later, the Gentile conversion, Gentile Pentecost. And then it's all about Saul who becomes Paul. But integral to Saul's story is a man called Barnabas, who believes in Saul, the one to become Paul. Are you with me? It's so important to have encouragers in our life. And the result of it all, of Ananias and Barnabas, their obedience to the Lord and then their willingness to encourage the church and to tell the truth about Saul means 
the church does really well. And as for Saul, he begins to preach Jesus is the Son of God. He argues the case from Scripture. He debates with the Grecian Jews. He preaches in the synagogues. He walks about Jerusalem. He moves about Jerusalem preaching. And the result is the church has a time of peace and it grows in numbers. Now, none of that would happen unless these two men and the disciples believed in what had happened to Saul and encouraged the church. So, here's where I want to go as we finish our time. This account that we've seen today is about the conversion, the changing of Saul and how he meets the risen Jesus. Paul recounts this over and over in his life and ministry. It is so good. But if we came to church today and just left it there, that would be good. But what about us? What about your story? Can I ask you that? Well, I just did. (laughs) What about your story? What about your conversion story? It's so important. Can I say that again? Your conversion story from those down the front to way up the back there, your conversion story is a good story. It's a great story. If you are a follower of Jesus, listen to this, you have a story to tell. You have a story of how you came to know him, how you surrendered your life to him and became a Christian. Your story is really, really significant. Only you can have your story of how you met the Lord. And your story is significant for this time and this place and for now. Yeah? I think back to that book of Esther where Esther says to Mordecai, his uncle, her uncle rather, as she's facing possible, a possible genocide movement. She says, well, you know, I can't do anything else. And Mordecai says to her, you were born for such a time as this. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how much in between all of that that you are, this is a now moment. And it's a now moment for Lobethal and for Hills Baptist Lobethal. Now for some of us, we could well be saying to ourselves as you're listening, yes, I am a Christian, but my story is nothing like Saul's to become Paul. I didn't have any high noon drama. I didn't have any blinding lights. I didn't have anybody knocking me to the ground. Some of you will have stories like that. Some of you will say, my story is very plain, almost ordinary. In fact, you might, even be, you might even be saying, there was never a time when God was not in my life. He's always been there, you know. But do not discount your testimony. And this is what I would say to you. All of us have something to say. It may be pit to palace. It may be about gutter to glory. It may be about no more grog to sobriety. It may not be that way at all. It may be about a gradual realisation that you actually needed Jesus Christ. And listen, just like Saul, there was a moment somewhere when the realisation that you needed the Saviour to take away your sin became real and you asked Jesus into your life, he became your Lord 
and he is the risen Lord. Yes? There are common aspects to every conversion story. There's an awakening to sin in your life. We're all sinners. The Bible says that. And I want to tell you something. God has not changed and neither has his word. I listened to a little short clip of Billy Graham the other day, one of the great sermons he preached. And he, he just, in his own Billy Graham way, said, God has not changed. And no matter what you see going on around in the world today, and maybe no, no matter what's going on in your own, your own life, or the struggles, the triumphs, the victories, the downs, the ups, and all that sort of stuff, and don't worry about the language, God has not changed. And God will still bring judgment. Along with the absolute declaration from his own heart that he loves the world so much that he sent his son to die for the world. And Christian conversion involves an awakening to sin in your life. Yes, I have done things that are not right before God and before other human beings, yes? And there's an awakening that sin actually deserves judgment or punishment. And then there comes this awakening that Jesus paid the price for that. So we've got the cross here. That symbol reminds us that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he rose again from the dead as proof that he's completed the rescue mission for the human race. And then in conversion, there's this asking, a prayer for Jesus to come into our lives and by the Holy Spirit, we're born again. Let me tell you, when you meet Jesus, a power greater than yourself comes into your life. Not, in, not a mystical thing. The reality of God's Holy Spirit descending on us and we are born again. We are different people from then on in. So let me say this. Do not fret whether your story is dramatic or calm. Understand this. God changes lives. Sometimes we love to hear the dramatic stories. But understand this, God works in your life. You know, one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard of a, of a person coming to know Jesus was way back when I was associate pastor at Morfitt Vale Baptist Church, way back, so far I can hardly remember when, late 70s. And our neighbouring church, Christie's Beach, brought up their youth group and our youth group and we had a big Sunday night thing and there were testimonies and there was all the stuff that you did in the day. And one young girl got up, she was about 16, and there'd been some gutter to glory kind of testimonies. But this young lady stood up and she said, I don't have much to say except I saw how much Jesus mattered to my mum and dad. And I want to follow him too. It's the most powerful testimony I've ever heard. God will move in your life no matter, and it doesn't matter how it happens, but you'll go through the same gate. There's only one salvation gate. We may have all come in. In fact, we have different life experiences. And God has used all manner of things, happenings, people in drawing us by his Holy Spirit to surrender our lives to him. But there is only one gate. There is only one salvation gate. And each of us has to go through the exact same gate. It's called the cross. And Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
There is only one gate. You don't make it for your own gate to come through to God. You don't have your own special salvation gate. It's not a gate of good works or special honours or I'm a, bit, I'm a bit better than other people. It's the sinner's gate, pure and simple. And Saul went through it on a midday journey and he met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and from then on he told his story and people are still being converted because Jesus got into his life. We are saved. We're saved from ourselves. We're saved from our sin. We're saved to God. We're saved forever. We're saved for eternity. So don't give up on your story. Because we have this story in our hands, church. And Lobethal needs our tongues to get loosed and to hear the gospel through our lives and our stories. Yes, we live and work through deed and word, but let's not forget the word part of the deed. And there are times, in fact, when our deed will be our word. And people have to hear. And last time I checked, there's a good old song said, people need the Lord, and they absolutely do. And the very last thing I want to finish is this. Each of us has a ministry of encouragement. Somebody said once, I can live on the strength of one compliment for a year. It's so true. It is so true. We need encouragement. As a famous preacher, Haddon Robinson, said once, he's an American fellow, he said, we need 10 attaboys for every you jerk. It is so true. We need people putting their arms around us Sometimes literally, but not always. Just enfolding us with the love of God to say, keep moving, keep moving. You have a story to tell. You have a life to lead. You have a faith to lead out. God is good. He is for you, not against me. Yes? True? Well, let's stand up if you believe that as the team comes. Do you believe that we need to keep on encouraging one another? Do you believe that we need people enfolding new Christians and building them in their spiritual growth? New Christians need older people in faith to help them and to take them and encourage them. What a magnificent privilege that is. Let's sing a song together and I'll come back and pray for us all. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.